1: Hello and welcome to the EDH Redcast. My name is Joey Schultz and I'm joined as always by my fantastic co-hosts. First up, he's got a lot of class enchantments in his deck. It's Matt
3: Morgan. I designed slash invented a chicken-proof lawn the other day and I must say the design is impeccable.
1: Impeccable. I love that. Well done, Matt. That sounds like it um, sounds like you might have been pretty
3: cooped up I, when you were doing that. I was about yeah. to use that, so I won't uh, recycle that joke. I will let you just move on.
1: <laughs> I am. That was excellent. I'm learning. Oh. Excellent. I see what you did there, Dana. Speaking of which, that's Dana, and he can't help but notice that there are no adventures in the set Adventures in the Forgotten Realms. How you doing, Dana Roach?
0: Uh, I'm doing well, and we finally hit our first Inception event here on the cast where we're in the middle of doing a set review while we're in the process of another set being revealed. <laughs> um, so we need to go deeper, I think
1: another layer deeper we'll just give it another month or two i think (laughs) because these sets they are non-stop we've got the slightest break but they're always going to keep coming anyway let's finish up these intros this is the edh rec cast edh rec is the best deck building resource on the web for the commander format compiling data from deck lists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new commander decks and here on the podcast what we like to do is give all of that data a little more context dana what is it that we're talking about in this week's episode we are discussing Adventures in the Forgotten Realms, part two. Yes, last episode was our first set review, and there were a lot of cards that we wanted to, to uh, discuss about where they'll fall in Commander, so this will be the second part of that episode. Let's talk about the red cards, the green cards, some multicolored cards, and some colorless cards as well. So, despite the fact that the set reviews are pretty constant in the content creation right now. We want to get through these because there are some interesting goodies here that we got to discuss. Should be a whole lot of fun. Real quick, before we get to our main topic, let's thank the folks at the Command Zone who handle all of the post-production work on our podcast and thank our sponsors too.
0: Uh, yeah, the EHREC is sponsored by Card Kingdom and TCG Player. They're my favorite places to shop on the internet that aren't currently owned by someone trying to flee the earth for the moon. <laughs> Just go to Rec and click on the card in question, choose the vendor link down below and pick it. Doing that supports both the site and the show.
3: And if you'd prefer to support the show directly, you can do so over at patreon.com slash EDH RETCAST. We have patron tiers of all sorts of levels, whatever you're looking to get, um, we have that available to you. And we also have patron exclusive content that comes out every month. So make sure you head over to patreon.com slash EDH RETCAST for all the awesome content. And we also have a special tier, don't forget folks, uh, where we give a shout out to a very special patron just for signing up and supporting us. So this week, we want to give a very special thank you to Richard DeSalvo. Thank Thank you so much, Richard. We definitely appreciate all of your support.
1: Thank you, Richard. Okay, fellas, let's get into this last part of the set review for Adventures in the Forgotten Realms. Starting off with some red cards,
3: Matt. I want to ask you: Do you like dragons? Um, I, I, I do. I, but I never. Fir- <laughs> I figured out. How, I never figured out how to train them, so I'm not a very uh, good one.
1: Okay. Not a good. Fan. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, okay. In that case, have any of the new dragon-esque cards in red from Adventures in the Forgotten Realms? Do you think that they'll help you train any of those dragons?
3: Um, I don't know if they'll help me. I'm, I'm kind of helpless in that, but I think there's going to be a <laughs> lot of listeners out there um, that will benefit from, from several of these cards because um, I think there's several that are going to help with dragon decks. All right, sweet deal. Let's get to them. The first is Orb of Dragonkind, a two-mana red
1: artifact that can pay one and tap it to add two mana in any combination of colors, and you spend that mana only to cast dragon spells or activate abilities of dragons. So it's basically a signet for dragons, which is really cool, and it has a weird ability. You pay red, tap, and sacrifice the Orb of Dragonkind to look at the top seven cards of your library, reveal a dragon card from among them, and put it into your hand, and the rest go on the bottom of your library in a random order. So a red signet that helps you f- play dragons more easily and helps you find dragons when you need them this is real cool
0: yeah i think i like it more in theory than i do in practice i think it's a neat idea for a card um, but then i got thinking and i'm like man like g- most dragon decks aren't that dense on dragons necessarily because they're so powerful and so expensive so you're looking at this is some this is gonna be a mana rock that can you can use on one-fifth of the cards in your deck, I think, pretty often. Um, so the, the second ability is useful as well, but I, I'm not entirely sure if I would even run this over just another Mana Rock, even with a second ability. that just lets you draw one dragon. Uh, I, it's what? real close, but I don't know if I love it.
3: I would say I, this this is the best signet if you're playing... A dragon deck because it makes any color so like you're True. not you're not you're not shelled into like you draw a demir signet you so you only get blue and black mana from this you you get all your color fixing for your mana um i think this is the best mana rock outside of arcane signet for for dragon decks specifically um the like, a worst case scenario say you're flooding out and you get a redraw off of this um not like commander sphere is the only other really mana rock that w- that you're going to put into decks that has that upside too so i i think this is for dragon decks specifically like this is a, a very very good card um it's not flashy by any means but i think that the, the, i'm kind of surprised you're, you're low on it because it's it seems like a very dana-esque card
0: oh i just think if, if you're running 20 dragons in a deck you're going to have too many situations where both those abilities whiff like if you're running a dragon deck with 30 dragons or something maybe that's enough where that's they're both useful and both hit Enough of the time, but i I would be concerned because most dragons decks I've seen just have a limited amount of dragons in them. I would be worried that it would whiff too often to
3: justify a slot. But you, See, you still I, have the opportunity to whiff, though. Like, any other sure, mana I'm rock, you, guess, you, you yeah. draw you draw an arcane signet, like, it's just an arcane signet. Like, this, for three right, mana, it can turn this into make, something
0: else. It can be used for anything, right? A talisman, a signet, whatever you get, maybe isn't perfect fixing, but you can almost always use it as colorless mana or something to cast a spell. This is not good going to be something that you can use sometimes. If you don't have a dragon called to cast, it's just a rock sitting there that you can't use. I just would be concerned it would whiff sometimes is all.
1: Here's the thing. We've got this site called EDHREC that helps us look through a bunch of the the data on all of these cards and Dana, when you keep saying that there are dragon decks that you've seen that play only about 20 dragons, I'm looking at the page for the Ur-Dragon right now and the average number of creatures in an Ur-Dragon deck is 31. Granted, some of those are going to be like Dragon Speaker Shaman type of cards that you can't play with the Orb of Dragon kind, but that still seems like a really good density of creatures for this to work with I don't know if dragons hoard the mana rock that lets you draw cards if you play more dragons if that can show up in nearly 7,000 decks Orbit Dragon Kind is really really cool and that emergency late, like if you play this for the three mana effect just to use that last ability to go and find a dragon that is also pretty good I think Um, well, I, I don't you haven't convinced me but you guys seem to like it so that's fine we just don't agree on this one I think what we've learned is that Dana is even worse at training dragons
0: well, apparently so clearly <laughs>
1: So even though Dana's a hater, Matt, what do we think of the next dragon-specific card here?
3: Well, next up here, we have Minion of the Mighty, which is a kobold, not a dragon, um, but a kobold for one red that's an 0-1 with menace. And it reads, whenever Minion of the Mighty attacks, if you attack with creatures with total power six or greater this combat, you may put a dragon creature card from your hand onto the battlefield tapped and attacking. Um, so this isn't an actual dragon, but you're able to cheat dragons into play, I think this is very much worth some consideration for sure.
1: This is one where I'll take the Dana tone that was just happening. I really like Orb of Dragonkind. I think that's really cool. I like the color fixing, even if it is specific. Like I get the restrictions there. Minion of the Mighty, I don't know if we need. I feel like the dragon decks that are out there are probably pretty good at getting the stuff that they need already so i'm not sure that this one mana critter is actually enticing me for the dragon tribal decks
0: i think it's better in the non er dragon non tiamat style decks that don't mm. have have ways to kind of cheat things already i think this is the kind of thing you run in your red dragon deck where the commander is is lathril or something or your um a dragon deck where you don't have those ways necessarily to cheat things into play, I think it's much better there than it is in those dragon decks where you already have ways to do things kind of like this.
1: But I think in those decks, it's probably quite good. Did you mean lathless instead of La- what did I say? Lathreal, lathless. Yes. See, Dana, that's just how disconnected you are to *Training Dragons*. You're thinking of elves instead. This is *Dungeons and Dragons*. A- and and I had built
0: day. that deck at one time. I actually had a lathless deck
1: once upon a time. That shows how much attention I paid. <laughs> oh man, looks like now you're lathless list. okay. Eh? Ooh. Okay. <laughs> I, I know. All right. So those were some dragon-y cards. Orb dragon kind. Matt, it sounds like you and I have a thumbs up on, but many of the mighty. It seems like it takes maybe a little bit too much work to really get the effect of cheating those things into play. Like you have to already be doing a good job on it for it to... Continue to help you do a good job.
3: It just feels maybe a little bit win more. Am I reading that? it It's a little snowbally. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's fine. Like I, I feel like that's the type of card that's going to show up in the, the the casual play groups a little bit more, um which is fine because it, it is a very fun card for sure. Yeah,
0: it, it, the opportunity cost is super low on it too. So even if it is a little bit win mm-hmm. more at one mana and it's on attack, not damage, so it's going to trigger really easily too. The opportunity cost is really low on it, and if you get one trigger, you're you're probably quite a bit ahead. So I.
3: It's, yeah, you, pay, you paid one mana for a big, yeah. crazy dragon, which is fine. Yeah.
1: All right. Now we're moving from dragons to goblins, because there is a goblin travel card in this set that I think is actually really impressive. Hobgoblin Bandit Lord, three mana for a goblin rogue that is an anthem for all of your goblins, gives them plus one, plus one, and you can pay a red and tap it, and Hobgoblin Bandit Lord deals damage equal to the number of goblins that entered the battlefield under your control this turn to any target. I mean, another Goblin Anthem, that is really awesome for Goblin Tribal, but there are some amazing Goblin Commanders out there. Krenko is a blisteringly fast deck who can make tons of Goblins, and this can just dome someone to the face for just the simple expedite of playing the game you already want to be playing when you're playing a bunch of Goblins. I really like this guy, even if it is just for Goblin decks. I mean, in any creature-type
0: card that gives those other creatures plus one plus one is almost always playable in those decks. Just that alone generally makes them usable. That second ability in certain decks is just gonna kill people sometimes, like in the Krenko deck you mentioned. but even if it doesn't kill people, even if it's not in a crank, if it's in some other kind of a goblin deck, well, it's just free damage, too, which is a free way to hit somebody for three or four or take out some troublesome creature or something. Um, hit a Planeswalker if you need to. So the, the goblins get plus one, plus one is probably enough to make it playable in Commander, and that second ability is just gas.
3: Yep. I, I agree with everything that we, that you said, like any Cranko, any any Goblin tribal deck, like even Muxus that's able to cheat out a bunch mm-hmm. of goblins <laughs> like that. Like this gets really nasty really quick, no matter. I mean, yeah, like Dana said, even if this is only hitting somebody for three or four, you're pinging off Planeswalkers, you're getting creatures. Just the fact that it's any target, too. Um, there's a lot to like about this card.
0: Up next, we have Unexpected Windfall, which is an instant for two red red as an additional cost to cast a spell, discard a card, and you can draw two cards and create two treasure tokens. Um, so once you kind of figure the mana refund on the treasure tokens, it winds up being, um, you know, functionally two mana to pitch a card and draw two, which is a pretty good rate most of the time. Um, the, the downside, I guess, of this kind of effect is you have to have four mana to cast it in the first place. The upside is there's plenty of situations where getting that mana refunded in the form of treasures is really, really good, whether it's in a deck like Corvald, uh, where you get a bonus for sacrificing things, or a situation where the amount of artifacts in play affects something like it's like affinity or metalcraft, or a deck that has Tezrits out that deal damage based on artifacts. So, um, there's a lot of, upside to this variant on the usual pitcher card draw two in red.
1: This is an instant, like Pirate's Pillage, a sorcery speed version of this effect existed and it shows up in 4,000 decks. Right. This is an instant speed version. Like it's, you know how they did Tormenting Voice and that turned into Thrill of Possibility, the instant speed version of that effect. We've got another one here. These are small upgrades, but they matter.
3: Yeah. You pointed out some really good versions, like uh, any of these looting effects that we've been talking about. um, This is just a very, very good version of that. Like having instant speed card selection, effectively two mana, like there's just a lot to like about this card card uh same as the card before like i i plan on putting this in several decks um just because the it's such a just high floor thing like get rid of a card that's very dead an extra land anything like that being able to get two redraws off of it and then creating two treasures like it uh, it's effectively two mana um i think it's a very very powerful effect and i I, I just, it's a very, very good card for red decks.
1: Yeah, Magna Brazen Outlaw is going to love it. Wart the Raid Mother might enjoy copying it. The fact that it's an instant, I again, Ooh, that's, yeah. that's, there, there are cool things that you can do with this. Pirate's Village again, was already showing up in a decent number, and this is a strict upgrade, but it, you could also probably play both. These can be very good with all of the treasure synergy that we've been getting recently.
3: I mean, yeah, if you, if you copy this spell, like the fact that it makes those treasure tokens, um, if you're playing with Pyromancer's Goggles, I know it's one of Dana's favorite cards out there, um, you're making a lot of mana. That's really good if you're copying this type of spell. So like uh, Calamax probably loves this card a lot. A lot, of lot. It is an
1: instant. Yeah. There you go, exactly. Uh, speaking of treasure synergies, we've got another one here just called Zorn. It is a three-mana elemental that says if you would create one or more treasure tokens, instead you create that many plus one, uh, which is really, really nice. Treasure synergies are becoming much more of a thing here. I know that Dockside Extortionist doesn't need necessarily the help that this card will provide because it's just one extra treasure, but like we've gotten a lot of little things here and there that are providing just one treasure, just two treasures, and this can help amplify that. Is this... Matt, do you think probably too focused for just treasure centric builds or is this the kind of thing that we might see cropping up in a whole bunch of places? What do you think?
3: Um, I'm not sure if it's quite there yet, but it's a card that if you get for a quarter each um, and stash them away for a little bit, like that's probably a good thing to have around because... Yeah, there, there's a lot of treasure synergies that have been creeping up in the past few sets ever since treasure was kind of introduced as like a, a new theme. Um, but yeah, like it, it's funny. People were joking like, well, if this card were green, it would double all treasure tokens. Um, it's probably a good <laughs> thing because like you said, Dockside Extortionist already is one of the most played cards in in red in general. So um, probably good that it's, it's tamed a little bit.
0: Yeah, they definitely seem to be not afraid to put a lot of treasure cards in sets lately. Um, I think at the moment, this is the thing you probably only want to run in your treasure themed deck, um, whether or not that's going to be the same in a year when we have you know one more year worth of treasure cards in the, the 17 or 18 sets we'll get between now and then um remains to be seen um but i think for the moment it's a little niche
1: probably yeah i think your commander probably has to be involved with creating the yeah. treasure for you to really get the most effect out of this so prosper tomebound the new uh commander from the pre-cons for example claim reclusive painter and i know that we've all got feelings about it but negan the cold-blooded also works with this card as well so if your commander makes the treasures then that's probably something to pay the most attention to but also to keep your eye on this card as the future progresses because we are getting a lot of treasures recently let's move on to whoever's next in our red docket. Dana, who's up next? Uh,
0: up next, we have Delina or Delina. I'm not sure which, so we'll just assume both of those are correct. Wild Mage, uh, three in <laughs> a red for an elf shaman. Um, whenever uh, Delina Wild Mage attacks, choose target creature you control, then roll a d20. If you roll 1 through a 14, you create a tapped and attacking token. That's a copy of that creature, except it's not legendary and it has eggs of this creature at the end of combat. And if you roll 15 to 20, you just create a token, um, and then roll again. So you have a chance to do that multiple times, depending on
1: how good you are at rolling d20s. All right, so Loki, I actually really, really love this card. Um, I didn't expect to, but I, I can't believe that they put the removed legendary from this effect. Like, you get to do multiple things... With, with the fact that you can duplicate a legendary creature off of this, in addition to the fact that if you just make multiple combustible gear hulks or multiple terror of the peaks, for example, that that's also just pretty darn good. But if you can make additional copies of your commander, if it's gotten impressive enter the battlefield effects, like that's actually really, really spicy. I did not expect to like this card as much as I do, but I really do.
0: Yeah, um, it, it's really interesting, and there's a couple of build paths, which I always appreciate, too. You could just go ETB Value Town and just you know try to make token copies of whatever the most useful thing in play is, like Combustible gearhog, for example. Or you could even try to be more focused with that and just run a bunch of creatures that – for example, make tokens when they come into play. And this just gives you an option to go even wider with those tokens, like the army in a can strategy or something. So, um, you can be as just kind of general as you want with these abilities, or you can be as focused as you want. And I think that's always something I appreciate in a commander where there's a bunch of different kind of ways you could go with that deck and you might have a build that looks much different than the person sitting next to you playing the same commander.
3: Well, and even if you're not talking about just a commander specifically, if you're putting this in the 99, like I know, Joe, you have a a Rayanya deck. Um, Mm -hmm. That seems very, very good. Um, A nice little comfy home for Delina here. Uh, Just being able to make even more copies of whatever ETB triggers you're getting, um, you're going to make a pretty big army pretty quick. um, That seems to get out of hand, like that deck already snowballs. So like if you have all sorts of different things that you just want to be making copies of. Um, Yeah, this is going to get out of hand pretty quick if you're playing the the right deck, the right triggers. Um, Yeah, Combustible Gearhulk seems really good. Uh, Molten Primordial, stealing all your people's blockers. Um, Yeah, there's there's a lot of good abilities if you dig.
1: Uh, Scourge of Valkas, getting additional copies of those are always great. Additional Fanatic of Moguses. There's a lot of fun stuff, even just within the 99, but I don't know. If I'm playing a gear red deck, for example, it might be kind of fun to make additional copies of gear. Red. I know that they will be exiled. I know that you don't get his attack trigger, but it is still just pretty fun to make copies of tokens that are legendary. If you've got a good ETB effect, like this is pretty cool. It's not just like flame rush rider effects because those don't work with legendary creatures. This one does. That can be very, very sneakily impressive. And if you get two versions of this, if you happen to roll that 15 to 20, I think this is a really good value train. It's an explodey type of card. It's got a lot of variants to it, but that non-legendary thing, I just keep focusing on that. And I really, really like what I see there.
3: Yeah. Well, and if we're going to talk about red cards that are going into all of our decks, um, I do have one that I think is just, uh, it's not flashy. It's not um, super powerful, but it's just one that just, it does a lot of good things. Um, Boots of Speed is a fine artifact. Um, just one red mana for an artifact equipment. uh a cha- or equipped creature, excuse me, gets plus one plus zero in haste and it equips for one mana. Uh, if you have a, a creature that you want to be giving haste to for really, really cheap uh, two mana to put that artifact, uh, to cast and then equip this. Um, it's going to be really good. Valdeck uh, Keeper of the Flame is going to like this. Um, any aggressive commander probably is going to want this because it's just an extra copy of a haste enabling equipment. Uh, it seems pretty good.
0: Yeah, I think Valdeck especially is where the, the kind of deck where this shines. You do have to spend two mana to you know, to, to, to cast it and equip it to a creature and Things like fervor exist that would give your entire team haste. Um, but in a deck like your Valduk deck, you don't care. Your team has haste because once it's your team is basically the tokens Valduk makes. Um, so as long as your commander has haste, it's good enough for you. Um, and it's an equipment that buffs your commander and lets you make more elemental. So, um, I, I it's not maybe, I think, universally a piece of equipment. I think that a ton of decks want because I think there's other ways to achieve the effect, but the decks where it's going to,
1: be really useful. It's really, really useful and really, really efficient. I really enjoy the low cost on this yeah. one, especially. You are probably up against some cards like Haunted Cloak or Chariot of Victory, which are three mana, uh, but also equipped for one. And they provide a couple of different keywords, including haste. I am still really, really impressed by this one. There's also probably a conversation to be had about Crystal Slipper somewhere in here as well. But like sometimes, especially if you're on a budget, these extra haste enablers can be really, really sneaky on the right type of commander. If you care about equipment, something like Wyleth, for example... I mean, this is a cheap equipment that will help you draw a bunch more cards in that deck, which is pretty nice to see. Mm-hmm. Like those, the, take advantage of the fact that this is cheap, and I think there are plenty of commanders that want to.
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I sometimes will feel bad about like trying to blow up a like a Swiftfoot Boots or anything like that because the hexproof is is usually pretty important to get off. Um, mm-hmm. If you, people are blowing this up, like you feel like you yeah. won because um, <laughs> yes, exactly. haste haste is a great keyword in a lot of those equipment matters type of commander decks. Um, so being able to to you know, forcing people to blow up something as simple as boots of speed instead of swiftfoot boots, like that—that that seems like a pretty big win too.
1: Okay, fellas, so we're sort of wrapping up with our red cards here, which means we're moving into the big color. Now we're moving to green, um, and green, as as it is wont to do, green is doing green things. So let's start off with the card Old Nabo. Old Gnawbone? <laughs> I'm going to struggle to get through this one, y'all. Old Nabon is a 7-mana seven 7-7 seven, seven flying green mythic legendary creature dragon that says whenever a creature you control deals combat damage to a player, you create that many treasure tokens. Ooh, boy, there's a lot to unpack here, so let's go through it. If you attack people with a bunch of creatures, you get a bunch of mana, which, yes, green is good at mana, but it's also apparently really good at making artifact tokens now, too. This thing's absolute insanity. The Ur-Dragon, eat your heart out. This is one of your new best friend dragons in that deck. I I will push
0: back a little bit, Joey. Um, I do think that there's very few things that are more in green's color pie than taking (laughs) something that other colors do really well and doing it even better. Uh, so i mean the, when you think about it that way it feels pretty green
1: oh man i remember uh, on a stream with olivia gobert hicks we got to talking about this card and it was uh pretty weird we discussed how like you know how the the limited archetype for rakdos in the adventures forgotten of the forgotten realms uh set the limited archetype for rakdos is the treasure production so when it came time for them to make a mythic treasure making card in the set they didn't make a Rakdos, they made a green, which is like, oh, okay. This thing's in s- just absolutely crazy. Corvold is going to eat all of those treasures, so many treasures, that's so many cards. There are so many ways to take advantage of how many artifacts this makes.
0: Um, I, I will say, you know, we mentioned the words win more earlier. I think that to a degree, this is an example of that, which is kind of a thing green does a little bit. If By <laughs> the time you've made seven mana and and waited a turn probably to attack with this, yes, you're going to make a bunch of treasures, but you're probably at a point in the game where crazy things are happening, whether it's this or something else. Um, I so I, I don't mean, know it, this, you know, you could cast this and yeah, get a ton of treasures or you're casting Avengers Endicar or Crater Hoof or something in green. It's, it's just one more of those things. And I'm not even sure it's as good as those things necessarily, because it doesn't usually enable the win as directly as they do.
3: Yeah. I, I think this is a fine support card, but I, I'm leaning with what Dana's kind of picking a stance on. Like, Yes, it's a. It is. I'm not saying it's not a powerful effect. It obviously, For it is. sure, it is. Uh, it's yeah. not. It's not like green has any problems giving any of their creatures evasion or trample or anything like that. Um, but it is seven mana. Like, you're, yes, you make a lot of mana, but what are you doing with that? Like, you play out your hand, and then a lot of times you end up top decking in a lot of those types of situations. Now, yes, Corvald is in a completely different monster altogether. I. That's kind of <laughs> right. th- that, that. That that's cheating. Corvald does everything with everything. Um, <laughs> Like, I, I agree with Dana. Like, this feels a little win more. It's very powerful. And, like, I think a lot of people are going to really like it because it's a big, crazy mythic dragon named Old Gnawbone. Don't know what Gnawbone <laughs> is gnawing on. Um, but, yeah, it's just like, it, I. yeah, it, it's crazy that... The the treasures are going into green. Green's making so many treasures. That's um, just rewarding green for doing green things. Um, I think you need so, you're going to need some way to make sure like you don't play out your hand. Somebody rats the board, and then like you start over from square one so here's the thing
1: like if y'all have seen the card nature's will which untaps all of your lands if your creatures get through nature's will is really really impressive to the point that it's now over 30 dollars. like that is really good but that one still has a cap because it just untaps the lands you've already got this can produce a whole bunch more mana there's a lower floor but a much higher ceiling there are also things that you can do i mean we've seen what happens when dragons produce mana with savage vent maw which has infinite combos with cards like Hellkite charger or aggravated assault because you keep making mana and then you can do more combat steps with that mana and then you can keep going over and over and over again. But in particular, this thing goes crazy with stuff like Academy Manufacturer. If this is at the head of a deck, stuff like Forge Forgemaster is going to go absolutely crazy with all of these artifacts that you're making. And in particular, if you've got stuff like a Masarek or an Itch Tech Heek in your deck as well, that's a lot of artifacts that they can take advantage of too. I just think it's not necessarily doing things that we've already seen Green doing because that is a lot of artifacts that you can make. And that is a big deal. I don't think it's doing things that Green's already doing. I'm just saying like, at seven mana,
0: green's gonna do abusive things. This is just one more <laughs> of them that you true. can do in green.
3: Yeah, you're, you're you're just topping the curve in a different way. Like, yeah. not not to say like those things aren't powerful or splashy or anything like that. Like reasons that people play the format, um, but acting like this is um, something novel by green doing something better than every other color. Um, that that we have been seeing that all the time. Just a day
0: ending in why for green.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I do get that. I still think it's astonishing that the best artifact token producer is a green flying mythic. <laughs> sure. I feel like that's pretty crazy. But in terms of green doing busted stuff, you're right. It's not necessarily novel, especially at seven mana. But what about doing something busted at three mana? Matt, tell us about our next one.
3: Well, yeah, next up, like it may be three mana, but that doesn't mean you're not doing crazy things. Um, you can just make a cradle tribal deck at this point. Um, and by th- <laughs> This is going to be the head of it. Um, well, not the head of it. It'll be the the all-star, though. Um, so Circle of Dreams Druid is green, green, green. That is three green mana uh, for a 2-1 elf druid that just says tap to add green. Uh, for each creature you control. So if you always wanted to play a Gaia's Cradle and um, couldn't afford, you know, a house payment, uh, this is a good substitute. Um, the fact that it feeds itself because uh, it, it, it is a creature and counts itself. Um, this is really, really good. It's kind of a growing rights of Itlamok once it flips into Itlamok Cradle of the Sun. Makes a lot of mana for all the creatures. Elf tribal decks are going to love this. Um, Any deck, really, that just puts a lot of creatures on the battlefield. Um, Are you guys as keen on this as I am?
1: Growing Rides of Itlamok shows up in over 24,000 decks. The answer is yes.
0: This will probably wind up being the most played card from the set, I would guess. Really? Uh, I would guess. Because, I mean, it goes in a gazillion decks. And I think this is the kind of thing that casual players, especially, also love. Um, so you know, you're know you just going to see it jammed because it, it's a really good card. It's a really strong card, and it's also the kind of thing that people love at a kitchen table. It just hits a lot of quadrants. It's an elf, so you know elf tribal decks are going to like it. Um, mm. It's just going to wind up everywhere, I think. And as a rare versus a mythic like Old and which I think is a card that also has a lot of cross-quadrant appeal, um, that's going to probably be a little more expensive. This is not going to be cheap, but it's going to feel a little more affordable than and that might wind up sitting at, you know, $20 or something.
1: This is really impressive. The triple green pips is something to be aware of, for sure. So that does relegate it probably less to, like, a five-color deck is not going to play this. Even if you're in three colors, I think that you're probably hurting a little bit too much on the specificity there. So that does restrict it a bit, but I mean, if you're playing Azuri Renegade Leader, you are so happy to have a thing that makes a bunch of mana for you to power out that final activated ability of that commander. If you're playing Reese the Redeemed, who makes tons of tokens already, Circle of Dreams Druid is going to be like, hi, I will make all of the mana! Like, this is really great in Elf Tribal, and if you just care about making tokens generally, probably one to two-color decks only, but man, this is a Really big mana output again. Growing rights of Vitlamok shows up in twenty four thousand decks, and Growing rights of Vitlamok is not an elf. So there's a lot that you can do with this thing.
3: Yeah, I, I agree that the the triple green mana pips in this in the casting cost that's really hard to get over um i think it maybe is the most powerful card in the set I, I agree with you dana i don't think it's gonna be the most mm. played set or played card in the set because yeah it's it's gonna be hard to cast like one or two color decks um but if you want to see what kind of decks are playing and just just go to growing rights of Lamox page on edh rec or guy's cradle and look at those top commanders um they're probably gonna be playing a circle of dreams druid like just copy paste into those into those lists so um I mean, it's obviously a very, very powerful effect. We've we've named two cards that are among the most powerful cards in all of the format and all of Command. Right, <laughs> um, and this has a very direct analog to those. Um, it doesn't have haste, so like it, it has to wait a turn, but like still, like there, the upside on this card is just through the roof. Like there is no roof on the on the upside here.
0: And, <laughs> and one thing worth noting: the, the trip green is going to absolutely keep out of five colored decks for sure. However, if you're playing like a, a mono green elf deck or even maybe a two color elf deck you love seeing those trip green pips every yes. time you hit that nycthos Yeah, like that's, that's fantastic like yep great trip green fantastic i'm tapping nycthos for 14 now in addition to circle of dream <laughs> druids for 16
1: yeah uh-huh.
3: well i mean if they ever make an orb of elf kind then yeah, yeah. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah absolutely play that in your your uh circle of dreams druid deck too so wow okay dana
1: tell us about our next card let's calm down and see if any of the <laughs> uncommons are a little bit like are they just as busted or is this kind of like just okay like i don't I don't know D- take, take us on away from the, the circle of dreams uh up next we have choose your weapon which is two and a green and
0: it's an instant speed modal spell um you can choose one of the following two modes two weapon fighting where you double target creatures power and toughness until end of turn or archery This spell deals five damage to target creature with flying. Um, I I love these kind of spells that very much look like they're made for, like, draft or some kind of a limited format. And in Commander, actually have utility. Um, Five mana to hit a flyer is a mode you probably won't pick very often. But the fact that it's there as a, you know, emergency oh no button to deal with something coming at you is, that's playable. However, being able to double a creature's power and toughness—not just power, but their toughness—is really, really useful in a whole bunch of different decks. And I think this will definitely see play because of that. That combat tricks, instant speed, and doubling something is really powerful. You said five mana. It's only three mana. So, I, I'm sorry, uh, five damage on the on the archery portion. Ah, yeah, it's three mana to cast. Sorry.
1: Yeah, I I like this. It's another Unleash Fury, only this one also gets your toughness. Like, that's really, really cool. I'm sure that your Crash the Blood-Braider deck is going to be really excited about it, for instance. Like, that sounds like a really fun place to use it. But there's just really cool utility to this. The fact that it buffs up toughness, like, you can actually get around a Toxic Deluge with this if you've got a commander Mm -hmm. that is very, very important to you.
2: And I think that that's really cool utility.
0: Oh, and it's one of those cards, too. The, the nice thing about it is it doesn't say double target creature you control. It just says target creature. Oh! So I, I love those effects where when an opponent swings at another opponent and they think they're safe, you can use this to to kill somebody by doubling their creature's power when they're not ready for it. So you're not just limited to buffing your own thing. You, you can do it to take somebody else out once in a while.
3: I mean, I, I guess I'm a little more lukewarm on this card than you guys are. Like, three mana to do any of these effects, that's quite a bit... Um, we, we talked about wanting to hold up mana for any, you know, XYZ spell three mana to me for either of these effects to hold up. Um, I am not a big fan of it. Um, I'm glad you guys are, but yeah, this one it's, it's fine. All right, Matt, hear me out. Galta
1: Primal Hunger is a 12 tove with trample, and this is effectively giving it double strike.
3: I mean, the, but the, you can give it double strike in a hundred other ways already too, though. Not in mono green uh, There is fire shriekers out there, but it's. It's fine.
0: I know what Matt's saying. Um, I, 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 I I get it. What I would say is if I'm like making just a random mono green or mono uh, uh, green deck can be any color combination. I'm not throwing this in that first 120 cards before I cut things down.
3: No. Just no.
0: just blindly like I would beast within or something. Um, and then making a decision. However, I think there are decks where this really shines. It's not the kind of card where it just gets jammed into any green list, or it's even worth thinking about any green list. I wouldn't probably run it in very many of the decks that want Circle of Dreams Druid, for example. There probably isn't a lot of overlap there. But Old Gnawbones as your commander. Um, I would be very tempted to put it in an old Bones deck to turn now those seven
1: treasures my commander's gonna make into fourteen. Or in a World render deck because yeah. it's already got the yeah. double strike with the
3: Yeah, and I'm not saying there aren't applications for it, but like I I guess maybe I don't build any of the decks that are gonna want this, but like I, I don't know. It seems like a lot of mana even in those decks to hold up.
1: Mm. Well, what about some landfall stuff? I know that you've got an Omnath Locus of Rage deck, so how about we talk about some new landy type of cards that are coming around in this set, too, because Druid Class has really caught my attention as a very fun budget version of getting additional land drops. Druid Class is one of those class enchantments that starts off with the simple ability of whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control you gain a life, but you can upgrade it to level 2 for 3 more mana, Uh, so a total of 5. That means that you can play an additional land on each of your turns. It also has a level 3 for 5 mana to animate one of your lands, which is pretty neat but you probably don't even need it like as a budget version of exploration I really quite enjoy this like landfall decks can be really 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 expensive a lot of those cards like exploration rocket up in price really easily. and this is an uncommon that will help get you additional land drops I'm really happy to see it
3: yeah, an exploration for, for a quarter um, is definitely going to be a welcome addition to a lot of budget decks. Um, just the, the first two modes, I don't think I'm ever going to activate the, f- you know, the third mode and get to level three. Mm. Uh, but those first two are plenty fine. Um, I think if you're playing a landfall, land-heavy deck, uh, this is a great addition.
0: Yeah, I think that's well said. Um, I also agree. I don't know how often I would move to the third level, but the first two levels are are good enough in a lot of situations um and like exploration and versioning aren't cheap cards these days either mm-hmm. and this as an uncommon is going to be a cheap card at least for the foreseeable future so it's it's you know maybe in addition to those cards in those decks if you want a you know third or fourth or fifth option um but if you're also someone who just is trying to build on a budget it's really nice to have things that you can run in a, instead of those for example so mm-hmm. um fills a couple of different issues i like it
3: yeah yeah. Being able to play extra lands on your turn, like those effects typically like are in high demand because yes. landfall is such a yes. a popular mechanic. Like mm-hmm. there any card that says you can play an extra land typically like is going to command a premium with price. So having something at uncommon to do this, if you're building on a budget, that, like this is a, a great effect that you might want to chase.
1: Yeah. Well, one of the least popular versions of you can play an extra land is wayward sword tooth. And that still shows up in 16,000 decks. And it's like, 10 to 13 dollars at the current time which
3: isn't yeah that's not a cheap card anymore like this hope hopefully this like dana said being an uncommon keeps that into the 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 cheapish range
1: Mm -hmm. Speaking of lands, there's another interesting instant here that Dana, I want to get your opinion on. You Happen on a Glade is a three mana instant where you can choose one, you journey on to search your library for up to two basic land cards, reveal them and put them into your hand, and then shuffle, or you make camp and you return target permanent card from your graveyard to your hand. This thing's an instance, which I think puts it into the conversation, even if it is just getting those lands to your hand. This seems like a really nice duality to it. I'm wondering what you think about it.
0: I'm kind of torn on this one. um, It does worse versions of two very popular effects. Um, So the question remains, does does having the option and doing it at instant speed make up for it being a worse version of Cultivate or a worse version of eternal witness or regrowth or something. Um, and I, the answer is I don't quite know myself. Um, it's not jumping out of me as, as something I obviously want to run, but I can't quite dismiss it either. Um, I'm considering it for at least one deck. So, so I don't know. I haven't quite come to a conclusion. Um, and I, I think the fact that I'm I'm so torn on it is interesting at least. Um, <laughs> okay. uh, but no, I, I don't have a definitive answer about how I feel about it. It's really on the edge here for me.
3: I mean, if you would have told me balagid Recovery – roughly gets power crept within a year of it coming out. I would have told you you're insane, but like this card is pretty great. Like it's a ballot good recovery at, at instant speed. Like you don't see a lot of regrowth effects coming in at instant speed. Like, yes, it, it, it can only target permanence with that mode. Um, but the, I think the flexibility, like we always talk about instant speed over sorcery speed, the impact of that. Mm. Um, I think that's, that's pretty mentionable. Um, being able to just grab two lands and put them into your hand, like that sets you up to keep going in the future. Like, I like You Happen on a Glade quite a bit more than I like Choose Your Weapon. Um, I, th- I think this card, regrowth effects in general, just being able to get the best card that you've already played and, and do it again, um, I love doing that. Those are the types of effects that I'm here for. So I'm I'm, I'm going to stumble into quite a few Glades in the future.
1: Cool. Like, again, the fact that this is an instant is what catches my eye. The fact that it can't get, uh, you know, spells back is a substantial difference to some other versions of this effect, but there are plenty of commanders that care about both of these modes. Like, it's good early and it's good late. That is a good Mm -hmm. duality to find on a modal card. And if you're playing a deck like Baborgamos Enraged, for example, like (laughs) finding two lands is also really cool. This is an instant. So, again, Calamax is probably pretty interested in that kind of thing, too. Like, I just, this is an uncommon that I think will probably get overlooked, and I don't know that it deserves to be.
3: Yeah, it's great in response to Grave Hate, too. Like somebody plays a bog, and you need to save like some random permanent that you don't want going into exile. This is going to be able to do that, which a typical regrowth can't do that.
0: And one thing I've noticed, too, if you're playing a landfall deck is it's pretty common to hit a point in the game where you have more ways to put lands into play each turn then you have lands in your hand. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. Particularly if your commander gives you the weight, a way to do it. But even if they don't, you know, you'll have that druid class in play or that exploration or or whatever. Um, and, and you have more plays than you do lands. If you hit that point, this I mean cultivate becomes irrelevant because you have four land drops per turn, and you're just gonna, you know, cultivate puts one in play and puts one in hand, and you're gonna play it anyway. If you've got four available land drops, searching them up with this, they're going into play anyway. So, um, yes, it's two hand, but I think in a certain type of deck, you just want to get two lands and being able to do it at instant speed is kind of a big deal.
3: I'm glad you're coming around on this one.
1: <laughs> so, Matt, you earlier mentioned grave hate, and so I feel like that brings us around to the final greed card that we're going to discuss here, called Frog Hemoth. And I'm curious to see how many of your decks you're going to be stuffing this frog horror into to help deal with my graveyard. Well,
3: I, I actually believe it's called Frogamoth, is how it's pronounced. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure though. Um, but yeah, this card is absolutely sweet. Like, it's got a wall of text. It's uh, um there's a lot going on. It's kind of the uh, Questing Beast or Elder Gargaroth type of card. And it reads, whenever Frog hemoth deals combat damage to a player, exile up to that many target cards from their graveyard. Put a plus one, plus one counter on Froghemoth for each creature card exiled this way, and you gain one life for each non-creature card exiled this way. Um, this is sweet. It's awesome. It's ridiculous. And it's also grave hate. So that means it's like, play it in every deck this okay, is so not cool every day it's a, not every day okay Come fine on. don't play it in your mono blue decks but play it in your green decks <laughs>
1: no okay so like i think there's an interesting conversation to be had here about this compared to the efficacy of say a scavenging ooze which appears in 17,000 decks by the way but like scavenging ooze has a similar ability to snipe cards out of graveyards to exile them but it can do that at instant speed which initially made me think that the frog heemoth I, I didn't like it very much it only happens on your turn I, there are many turns as a Marin player. Well, I'll, you know, buried alive and then revive something that very same turn. So if you can't get them at instant speed, you can actually like that can be a really big deal. But with that said, I've come around on Frog Heemoth because I know that Matt or Dana, you're just going to double this thing's power with a bazillion plus one counters and then one shot my graveyard in a single attack.
0: Yeah. And, and the fact that it has, has trample is a pretty big deal, too. And we're talking about a multiplayer format here there's almost always gonna be that one soft target that just has an eternal witness out for a blocker or something and (laughs) you're gonna be able to definitely poke through damage to exile a couple creatures and then suddenly this is like a six six or seven seven which makes it way easier to poke through damage on somebody else then next turn and then turn it into a you know 10 10 or a 12 12 or something um so the, the, the multiplayer aspect of the, of the way we play also is going to help this get that first initial strike through to make it big enough that it can poke through on anybody from that point on.
3: Yeah, well, and Joe, you mentioned scavenging use, and like scavenging Ooze is more of a scalpel type of yeah. mm-hmm. uh, work. Its way around, like you're getting very specific targets, like Frog Hemoth. If you're playing it for the grave hate aspect of it, that's just constant pressure. That's making sure you're not letting anything get too out of hand. Uh, no living deaths are going to be able to sneak up, and because you know you've <laughs> given them several turns to accrue a whole bunch of cards in their graveyard. Um, not even just for a reanimation like it, but if you're playing any spells in your deck, and you, somebody plays a Mizzix Mastery, like you're going to be glad that you attacked them a couple times with Froghemoth. Like, this is a great way to keep pressure on Graveyards, make sure they don't, uh, you know, get something built up so that they have one massive turn of playing everything. Like, yes, Scooz is also a, a fantastic tool. And I think that they're they're very different cards, even though they're doing a similar type of thing.
1: Yeah, I'm, I didn't like this one initially, and now I don't want to like it as much as I do, because this is going to be extremely frustrating to see across the table from myself.
3: And, like, the ability is, is very, very cool, but don't forget, like, the trample and the haste is very significant. Like, very. You, you can wait till somebody, you know, puts their shields down a little bit, play this, it has haste, and it's going to get over, you know, the the elvish mystic that they left around to block so you're still going to be able to get a few targets no matter what um, i really really like this card i think it's pretty potent um, and i'm looking forward to casting against you over at twitch.tv slash <laughs> um, when we stream our games wednesday evenings Oh, yeah. It, oh, man. And there's so many commanders that are going to take advantage of that. Like, Vorinclex Monstrous
1: Raider is going to double up the number of counters this gets. Lathiel Bounteous Dawn will take advantage of the fact that this is putting plus one counters on it and that it's gaining you life. Like, this has plenty of homes, and I'm very begrudging about the fact that I like this much as, I, as much as I do. So let's stop talking about cards that exile my stuff, please. Dana, can we move on to multicolored cards? Thank you. We can. Um, and
0: the first <laughs> one I'm going to talk about here is Fighter Class. Um, this is in Boros or Lorehold colors, if you are a young'un. Um <laughs> Red and white, two mana. The first level, when Fighter Class enters the battlefield, search your library for an equipment card, reveal it and put it into your hand, then shuffle. Uh, level two is one red and white. Equip abilities you activate cost two less to activate. And the third level is three red white. Whenever a creature you control attacks, up to one target creature blocks it this combat, if able. Um, This is another one of those a little bit like Druid class where I think I don't know how often I care to dump five mana into it to get that level three. But Mm -hmm. level one and level two are really, really good if you are playing a Boros equipment thing. And a lot of those decks, a lot of decks in Boros tend to do that, especially lately. That's something they've leaned really hard into. (laughs) I would have a tough time not putting this into any Boros equipment deck that I had built.
3: Yeah, I I agree, Dana. I I don't know about sinking 10 mana total into this card to get it to level 3. That seems like a bit much for what I think is kind of a blah type of ability. Um, But the first two abilities, like the the mana reduction, I think is very, very potent, especially when you consider uh, you spread that investment as far as mana goes over a course of a couple turns Um, I really really like this and being you know being able to tutor up your best equipment whatever it is for that situation um, I really like that ability like there's a lot to like about these first two levels even if you never get it to level three kind of like druid class like this is just a a great card uh, if you're on theme
1: I mean, this is good just at level one. At level one, it's a Steel Shapers gift. Mm-hmm. Steel Shapers gift shows up in 8,500 decks and it's like $23 right now, like tutoring those equipment. This is good. I will say that this Adventures of the Forgotten Realms is the sixth set that we've had this year and four of the six sets that we've had this year have featured Boros equipment as their theme uh, for the red, white colors, which I think is a little bit exhausting. This card gets a pass because it's very, very good, but it's also kind of like Watzi get it out but this is a very very good one even if you never get to level two i think the first one is really really great so we know that boris equipment decks are going to use it but here's the thing i think it might also kind of be like a sleeper hit in gen arcanum weaver as well because it's an enchantment that will come in and it can go and fetch you your lightning greaves or something and then you can just get rid of it for Gen to revive another enchantment like it's not just boris equipment although it's certainly going to shine there there's a other cool application there as well well,
0: And we kind of dismissed that third ability. However, it's not like it's useless. I, I, I would want to sink men into it early game or rush to it. But like, there's going to be situations where in your equipment deck, you play this for the first two modes and turn 11 rolls around or something. And there's somebody that you've barely kept in check. And they just need to get their commander to stick for one more turn. And you're like, oh, I'm just going to dump flat mana into this and force your commander to block what I'm swinging with so it dies. Like th- That's a situationally useful ability late in the game. And I'm not going to use it all the time, but there's absolutely points in the game when you would use that
1: very very much agreed. This is of the multicolored classes. This one does impress me for sure, even if I'm a little bit tired of Boar's equipment stuff, but still. Um, There is another multicolored class here that I wanna address because it doesn't impress me, and that's the card Rogue class. This is a two-mana Demir class. The first uh, level here is that whenever a creature you control deals combat damage to a player, you exile the top card of that player's library face down, and you can look at it for as long as it remains exiled. For three more mana, you can bring it to level two and give all of your stuff Menace, and for four mana, you can play cards that were exiled with Rogue class, and you can spend mana as though it was mana of any color to cast those spells. I'm a lot softer on this one. I feel like since it says rogue class, a lot of folks are going to be putting this right into like Anawan the Ruin Thief, for example, the Demir Rogue Tribal Commander. I've got that commander built and i got to be honest, I don't think I'm going to play this one. You have to get all the way to level 3 for this one to really be able to pay off completely, and it's pretty dependent upon your board. Of the on-hit trigger effects that you could be using whenever your creatures deal damage to opponents, I, I just don't think that this is going to end up being one of the better ones.
0: No, I, I tend to agree. It's it, it's a, You're going to spend 2 mana to play an enchantment for a level 1 that doesn't really do anything um, to affect the board state at all. Um, you can spend 3 more mana on it to give your creatures probably the worst form of evasion in two colors that have access to every other form of evasion already (laughs) sure um and then spend four more to hopefully be able to use those spells you exile with the first mode um just a lot of work i i I think it's close. like with some slight tweaks i would have loved this but i don't as it stands right now
3: yeah i i don't think that all the mana that you have to invest into this card and then you have to start spending the mana to cast those spells. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if that's. I think there's there's better ways you can be using um, any sort of card advantage engine without spending what is it nine mana before you can start casting yes. more spells. So yeah, I just I don't think it's mana efficient enough. Like it's not that it's not an interesting card. I like the design of the all of these class cards just in general. Like it's a very very cool design. I like the the progression mm-hmm. and the flavor behind them. Um, but rogue class, I don't ever see myself wanting to put in any decks.
1: Matt failed at rogue class.
3: I, I I'm not sneaky enough. I, I glow in the dark with this skin with this skin complexion. Um, I'm kind of clumsy and awkward. It's, it, rogues are not the life for me.
1: Well, it, but when it, it comes to like barbarian classes, Matt's going to ace.
3: it. Oh, barbarian for sure. But like, if there was like a modern day Hodor, <laughs> like that would be me for sure. This is the the, the twenty four Jump Street rogue class. You're going to rogue yes. class, boys. <laughs> oh man.
1: Okay, so let's move from multicolored now into some artifacts. Dana. I'm going to ask for your opinion on Eye of Vecna, because it is a card that lets you pay life to draw cards, and I know that is usually one of your favorite things to do in Magic ever. Even beyond winning, you just like paying life to draw (laughs) cards, and Eye of Vecna lets you do that. Two mana, legendary artifact. When it enters the battlefield, you draw a card and lose two life, and at the beginning of your upkeep, you may pay two, and if you do, you draw a card and you lose two life. Is this the kind of thing that excites you? It's probably relegated to you know just like red and white as colors, but is that life payment worth it even in those colors? Where you at?
0: Uh, first of all, I love the art on it. I think it's super disturbing. Um, <laughs> it's probably my favorite piece of art from this set. So for oh. that, I, 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 I am a big fan of. Um, no, I, I, I the, I'm going to run this in one deck, and it's not the deck you would. Suspect I'm probably gonna try it in my Reiki History of Kamigawa deck. Oh,
1: it's legendary because sure. it's
0: legendary oh, yeah. and it winds up being a two mana draw two, <laughs> um, which is really useful and really efficient there. And then if I hit that point in the game where I'm I, I'm out of gas and I, I need something, I can spend two life and two mana to draw a card at the start of my turn. Um, but no, I, I think beyond that. The the two mana really hurts. um, Yes, it's a a cheaper Mind's Eye, but I think if you want to spend two mana to draw a card during a really limited window, um, Mind's Eye already has kind of fallen out of favor and I think probably is still a little bit better than this. I think it's close, but it's generally speaking not quite enough.
1: You could just do like Maze Mind Tome instead is basically yeah. what you're saying? Sure, sure. That makes sense. Although I do love that you have found a way to create what is functionally the equivalent of a Knight's Whisper in your mono green deck. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Perfectly on brand. Never change, man.
3: <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm with Dana like I I saw this card initially and thought, "Well, this is just kind of like a worse Minds Eye, isn't it?" Like Um, uh, why would you want to play? So yeah, I'm glad that I'm getting the same read as Dana because Dana's kind of a connoisseur of the paying life to draw (laughs) cards. Um, So yeah, I'm glad that we're on the same page.
1: Uh, So we didn't like the Eye of Vecna. Matt, what do you think of the Hand of Vecna?
3: The Hand of Vecna, I don't even know what to think about this. So Hand of Vecna is three mana for a legendary artifact equipment. Reads at the beginning of combat on your turn, equipped creature or a creature you control named Vecna gets plus X plus X until end of turn where X is the number of cards in your hand. And you can equip cost, um, which is pay one life for each card in your hand, or you can just equip for two mana.
0: That that, that equip cost thing is super weird because I feel like if it's worth equipping, it's something you're going to equip for two the vast majority of the time, if you if you, if it's worth using, it's because you have enough cards in your hand that yeah <laughs> you're not going to want to pay the you know six or seven life or more in some cases. Um, I, I do think this will see some play. There are some some commanders where you routinely are going to be having a dozen or more cards in hand just because of how they play. Maybe this winds up being another win condition if you, if that deck isn't playing combo, which I guess they usually are.
1: Feels pretty narrow to me, though. I, I do think it's narrow. I am also just like you guys, kind of puzzled. I'm like that pay life equip cost. It's pretty ignorable since it's just two mana to attach. But there are pre- pretty interesting blue commanders, especially that are going to be able to make use of it. I'm really excited for it in my Elegath deck for example because the number of cards that i draw there is hilarious and this is basically another version of imperial plate which is one of my favorite win conditions for that deck and there are other commanders that will be able to use it too we talked about sir eleanora on a uh underplayed commanders episode a little while ago or there's probably stuff like Kefnet the mindful or and i hate to bring this up because again i know we all got feelings about it but like it seems pretty good for glenn voice of calm as well if folks are building that which not going to begrudge them if they do this is a good equipment to throw onto him to draw a bunch of cards so there are a lot of other cool commanders out there that can make use of this and i'm actually going to return back to wireless hold of steel too because that is a commander that does draw cards for the equipment and this would be a pretty good payoff for both of those different angles
0: yeah and, and maybe it's worthwhile in something like the newest grevin deck where you know losing life isn't necessarily a bad thing when you're swinging in with something it's a, it's a way to kind of double buff your commander um i don't know if that my deck necessarily needs it but there's some niche uses <laughs> i think for that kind of thing as well
3: it's fine but like i don't think with glenn voice of calm wants it because the, it kind this kind of negates the skulk ability where uh creatures with greater power can't block it so if you make glenn enormous uh, then yeah. anything can chump it so like i don't even think it's it's very good there um, uh we'll give him unblockable he'll be <laughs> <all> i <right. laughs> yeah th- i mean there's there's other things if you're trying to to get an evasion but yeah it's It's fine. I I do think it's kind of win more because at that point, like if you have that many cards in your hand, like there's a few commanders that I think will be able to take advantage of it. But like Dana said, like once you get that many cards in hand where this is making a difference, um, chances are you might have won the game already.
1: Fair enough. Fair enough.
0: A a couple little tweaks I would have liked to have seen here. First of all, the plus X plus X only triggers. Um, at the beginning of combat if that was just always a plus X plus X this gets way more attractive And I think if the pay life thing would get way more interesting if that was an instant speed equipability as well You'd have mm-hmm. you'd be much more likely to use that if you could use it in response to a thing um, so I think those two tweaks Or something that would make this way more playable. And the reason I mention that is because the next card we're going to talk about here is a card that (laughs) doesn't have um, those tweaks that make it worse. And that's Treasure Vault. Um, (laughs) It's it's, it's an artifact land that you can tap for a colorless. It's an artifact land. I'm going to repeat that multiple (laughs) times here. That's a big deal. Um, You can also spend XX and sacrifice Treasure Vault and create X treasure tokens. Um, Talking about tweaks, this would be a card where number one, I wouldn't think it would be an artifact land. Number two, I would have guessed it would exile itself when you use it. And number three, I would expect it to have the text saying use this ability only as a sorcery. It has none of those things. And as a result, it's really, really good.
1: Yeah, um, this is an artifact land, which Dana, I'm so happy that you repeated that because Darksteel Citadel is also an artifact land that can just tap for a regular mana and it's got indestructible, which rarely becomes a thing and it shows up in 28,000 commander decks, which is a lot of the command. That's a lot of, that's a lot. This is another one to add to your affinity or to just add to your artifact count if you're playing stuff like the Bronze Guardian that get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger for each artifact that you've got. And it can create a bunch of tokens, which is going to make stuff like Academy Manufacturer complete completely sing, but also even if you're not playing artifacts, like, I just built a Mazarek deck recently, and this creates a lot of sacrificeable objects for my Mazarek deck to kind of freak out about for a little while. I really like it. This is a, an ability on an artifact land that it didn't even need to have to be important.
0: Well, and I just talked about on, on a challenge of stats very recently, Prototype Portal, and how it's nice that we had a bunch of new artifact lands, <laughs> to imprint on that, to tap it for zero to make a copy of. We just got another one right here in in Treasure Vault. You know, you mentioned a bunch of uses for it. If you were playing in a landfall deck, um, again, you often have multiple triggers and multiple ways to play things from your graveyard. This is the kind of thing where it might be worthwhile running there where you just hit the end of the, tur- the turn before yours, and like, well, I didn't have to use this 6 mana I had that I was saving for whatever. I'm just going to make myself three treasures, sacrifice treasure vault, and back on my turn with my four landfall triggers, I'm going to play the or but the four lands I can play this turn, I'm going to play two lands. I'm going to replay treasure vault from the graveyard because I have a crucible out or something. And if I don't spend mana again, I'm going to make a bunch more treasures. There's just a lot of there's a lot of corner case uses for this, I think.
3: See, I mean, everything you guys said like I'm not to discredit, it, but like it sounds like there's a lot of hoops that you have to jump through to make this as as great as you guys are saying. Like I think it's fine like XX to make X tokens to me that I I'm not sure like if you're playing it in, in a base level deck without any ways to really abuse it, um, I don't think it's that great of a card. Like it's fine. Being an artifact land is mentionable, but uh, if you're jumping through a lot of hoops, like there's a lot of cards that get as good as this is in the, any of these types of scenarios.
0: I, I think the fact that it's on a land um, is, is what's partially really attractive about it. Um, the opportunity cost is so low then. And like like we always say, when in doubt, pull out a basic and put in a utility land, right? We don't always say that. <laughs> no, nobody <laughs> no. says that. You that's are the me, only that, one that says that. just me that says that must be. Okay. Um, that's, that's, so, that's, that's propaganda, mister. Okay, <laughs> all right. So, yeah, I mean, no, you don't want to be running the amount of basics I run. Um, However, that's what I'm (laughs) going to wind up doing, is pulling the basic and running in a couple
1: decks for sure. Well, like, again, Darksteel Citadel is, the the fact that it's indestructible is almost never the relevant part of that card. It's just an artifact lane, and that shows up in 28,000 decks. Treasure Vault at its base is just another artifact that Duretti can sacrifice. But at its best, it's also something that you can abuse with a Brutaclad, for example just instant speed, get a bunch more tokens out that people probably couldn't Mm -hmm. respond to. Even if it's just like two or three more tokens, that's something that that type of deck can really take advantage of. And man, I I know that one of these days, someone is going to have revel and riches in play, and they're going to crack the treasure vault before it gets to their upkeep. And that's just going to be an amazing way to snipe out the victory that we probably couldn't do a whole lot about. Like there's very fun applications to this. And at its base, it's just another Darksteel Citadel. Gets me excited. It really does.
3: I mean, Darksteel Citadel, I'm not is like the most convincing argument considering it's been in multiple pre-cons. So the decks or the deck numbers that we're seeing there might be a little more inflated than like what you want to use to when you're shooting for a card that you want to be as powerful as.
1: I'm going to, you know what, Matt? I'm going to sacrifice this treasure vault while I'm attempting to attack you with a Kiri <laughs> line, Lineslinger and instant speed power up my commander without like that. There, there's fun applications to this. And it's an art, Like
3: it's cool. I'm not. That's I'm cool not saying that there aren't fun applications. I think um, it, it'll get people once or twice. But then, like I said, like a lot of the hoops that you want to be jumping through, like I think there just are other cards that are just as powerful, just as as excitable, I guess, or, or worth getting excited over as this one. So I, I, I don't know. This one just never jumps out at me. Uh, maybe I'm just not playing the right decks to abuse it. So, so
0: Matt, if you don't like vaults. Then I guess the question is, what are your thoughts on
1: dungeons? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we haven't talked about any of the dungeon stuff throughout our two review episodes because, to be honest, it has kind of felt to us like they're not very generally applicable, I think. I don't know, I guess we'll like let the question carry through for Matt, but yeah, it is notable that we haven't talked about dungeon cards in these reviews.
3: Well, Dana, to answer your question, i I think they're fine. like they're the they're very flavorful, uh, like we talked about last week. Uh, none of us really play Dungeons and Dragons, so it, it the the I guess the nostalgia about it is kind of lost on me. Um, all of the cards, like they seem like you have to play otherwise okay or average cards to get some sort of venture in the dungeon effect. And then when you do venture into the dungeon, like, it's just a little, like, tacked on, like, poke them, poke all your opponents for one life, gain one life, those types of effects, which, like, I'm not really sure are the types of effects that are going to, like, draw me to play cards that are otherwise also mediocre to, to get these small here and there effects. Um they're fine. Like if, if you want to build a venture in the dungeon deck, like you probably need to do something fairly dedicated to that. Um, yeah. but for me, like if you're only playing two cards that venture into the dungeon, um, probably you might want to be considering other cards.
1: Yeah. It does strike me as the kind of thing that requires a lot of dedication to it. And uh, here's one other thing that i gotta throw out here about green mythics in this set but like esper colors in this set are the ones that venture that, that take advantage of venturing into the dungeon and so when it came time for them to make a planeswalker that cares about venturing into the dungeon they made it green named <laughs> Ellie <Eliwick laughs> Templestrom who we don't even think is all that great but like it could have been a planeswalker for the dungeon deck and it's green instead which is just question mark but you know it, it is still like that could be a cool deck but you're right i think it does require a lot of dedication
0: yeah, I, I've got nothing to add beyond echoing what you both just said. In the commander format, I don't know if the, the effects in the dungeons are are strong enough until maybe the, the very final room um, or worth the hoops to get to that point. And it's a very fun mechanic. Again, not everything is about power. Um, oh, yeah. But at some point, you also lose a little bit of, of the fun of the mechanic when you have to invest a lot of energy and work in, in deck brewing to actually take advantage of it. Um, so if you are someone who wants to do that and, and has built a deck for it, great. I, I hope it's it's super cool because I like it in theory. Um, yeah. I, I don't know if in practice I would enjoy the amount of things I would have to do to make it worthwhile.
3: Yeah, I, and, I just think in, in I think in general, and I, I'm I'm not too out of line in saying this, but like. The, the three of us, the games that we typically have gravitated towards are a little more powerful than the typical venture into the dungeon type of deck. Like, I think that the folks that want to play kind of on the lower power levels, lower than, than where we typically fall, which they're not low power. They're They're definitely tuned for sure uh, but people who play around the kitchen table who just want to play to experience the things like the timmies and i definitely have timmy sides to me for sure uh, they're going to love venture to the dungeon they're going to like these types of cards and that's great like it like we've said about a lot of these things like the flavor for them is great and if you're playing for the flavor of the game then uh, then the dungeon cards are great and and that also feels like ultimately when i'm looking back at this set like
1: there is honestly a piece of me where I'm like, yeah, the games that we tend to play with each other do tend to be a bit more on the tuned side, but like some of these things make me excited to like not play at that level and to just like lean into the flavor because I think that that dungeon deck is actually going to be really fun when it all comes together. Like, there's a lot of stuff that like making those concessions away from power to just like. Make it more cool and fun. Like, there's a lot of mm-hmm. excitableness about the stuff that's going on in this set, which is honestly a really nice impression that I'm leaving off from this set with. And I don't feel that way about all of the sets that we get sometimes, where it does feel like, oh, the power might be out of control or something like that. But like to to focus on those slightly more, just like let's lean into this. Like the folks that we've seen getting excited about the way that this set connects with flavor, it's just by osmosis. It's kind of been like feeding into my excitement for it too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm exhausted about all of the sets that we've been getting, but it's nice to see the ways that, like, that flavor has been played around with for sure.
3: I mean, it, it's very nice that this set has been a lot of cards that people want to play, not that cards they need to play. Um, it's it's a break from the power creep. There there aren't any, like, super forced, like, heavy-handed, uh, this is the new staple type of card. We haven't gotten a whole lot of those in this set, but it's a lot of cards that people are excited about. Like. I've been on Twitter recently enough to see, like, there are a lot of people that just love what the set is doing um, and expressing. And that's great. And I think this, the, the game definitely needs those types of cards.
1: Very, very much. And so it sounds like we've gone from how to train your dragon to how to train your dungeon. No, is that, no, no, that one doesn't work. No, Matt,
3: you, no you, you, you tried. Um, <laughs> the, the, the dragon got away this time. All right. All right. Sounds
1: about right. Fellas, do we have any other final impressions that we want to leave off with for this set? Dana, as you mentioned, there is some set review section that's happening because we didn't even talk about any of the cards from the precons, and we might have to do that in a later episode. But do we have a final thought that we want to leave off with for Adventure in the Forgotten Realms? Uh,
0: the one quick note I have is: is I remember when we've gotten kind of lower power core sets in the past, say M14 or M15, it was really mm-hmm. easy to not be interested in them because there weren't a lot of cards you wanted for decks. Um, this is a core set that even though didn't have, it doesn't have a ton of cards I want for my decks. It's still very interesting. I still followed this spoil, spoiler season and paid a lot of attention because of the tie back to D&D. And I'm not even really a D&D player. Um, so I think that's a, a really big accomplishment where they've managed to keep me interested. Uh, just kind of on a borthos level and a set that didn't have a
1: ton of cards I wanted to put in decks. So that's mission accomplished there for sure. Gotcha. That's pretty cool. But you know what? Actually, I'm gonna take back everything that I said. This set is a huge flavor fail because Blink Dog doesn't actually blink, and the Warcry Goblin doesn't have it. The Battlecry Goblin doesn't have Battlecry. Like this is zero out of ten. Fails on flavor.
3: I feel well, like you need to stop talking right now because there's a lot of people that are going to be coming after you, Joey. And I'll be guilty by association. All
1: right. Let's finish it up there with these reviews. Hopefully we won't have to do one for a little while, but you never know there's products all the time. So we're going to call this one to a close. And if our listeners would like to get in touch with us, where is it that they can find us all? Matt, let's start with you.
3: So you can find me on the Twitters at Mathemus55. That's M-E-T-H-I-M-U-S U S five five. And don't forget Wednesday evenings we are streaming each and every week. Um, or we have guests coming on play some games, playing the Paper Magics, playing the Commander. Uh, it's always a super fun time. We have a blast. Um, so make sure tune in wednesday evenings for all those fun games
0: and dana you can find me on the twitter birds at dana roach you can hear me on my other podcast cmdr central and i'm writing articles once a month for edh rec and for commanders herald and you can find all of us together at patreon.com
1: and I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me at Joseph M. Schultz, and you can find the cast at Idiotrekcast on both Facebook and Twitter. And if you've got a question for us, you can contact us at EDHRECcast at gmail.com. Our thanks go out once again to the whole team at the Command Zone for handling the post-production work on the podcast. And we want to thank our sponsors. Once again, they are TCG Player and CardKingdom.com and Altersleeves.com. You can find them using the price info links on EDHREC or visiting CardKingdom.com slash or Altersleeves.com slash And that shows your support for the show. Listeners, we'll be back at you next week with with more data and insights. But until then, remember, EDH wreck your deck before you wreck your deck.